0: In Proverbs chapter 26, he gives us a discourse on what a fool is and how a fool behaves. And I, I want us to read the first 11 verses of this chapter. And uh, we're going to preach a little bit out of verse 12, but I, I want to spend some time in the first 11 verses before we get there. Beginning in verse number 1, Proverbs chapter 26, the Word of God says, "...as snow in summer, and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool." As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage." The legs of the lame are not equal, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. The great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. As a dog returneth to his vomit so a fool returneth to his folly. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you tonight, and I thank you for your Word. I pray that you'd help us tonight as we preach it, that you'd give us uh, unction and direction in the wise choice of our words and our thoughts. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would have liberty this evening, both in the things that I say and in the willingness of all of us to hear and receive the truth of your Word. And I pray that you would uh, develop in us uh, a wise heart, develop in us the kind of spiritual maturity that we need to walk circumspectly and to live in a manner that's well-pleasing unto You. Grow us in Your Word tonight, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we've read these first 11 verses, Solomon has made a lot of statements about what a fool is. Now, most of us understand what a fool is by definition. A fool is the opposite Of a wise man. Now, these two terms, wisdom and foolishness, they don't just correlate to the idea of knowledge. One of the things that I had prayed about preaching on this tonight, and the Lord didn't give me liberty to, but I do want to say a word about this. Uh, one of the great themes in the book of Proverbs is giving a biblical definition and perspective on the ideas of knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Uh, these are all different things, and uh, Solomon lays that out for us. In fact, he talks about how that wisdom builds a house and how that understanding uh, frames it and secures it, how that knowledge will fill it with treasures. All these things are different things. Uh, to give you just a very simple definition of each of them, uh, knowledge is the information of truth. In other words, knowledge, you can imagine, are the ingredients of what facts are. Uh, things like the sky is blue, things like the grass is green, things like God is good, things like sin is bad. Uh, this is knowledge. Now, knowledge is good, but knowledge can only get you so far. You've also got to have understanding. Understanding has much more to do with our attitude than it does with our aptitude. Uh, understanding has to do with how we're willing to receive the word of God and understanding does not come from book learning. Now I'm not against book learning, but understanding does not come from book learning. Understanding comes from a submitted heart to the word of God. And then wisdom is the right application. If we're going to say that uh, knowledge is the information of truth, understanding is the apprehension of truth, then uh, wisdom is the application of truth in our lives. In other words, it's knowing how to take what we know to be true and walk wisely before the Lord in light of those things. And so a wise person is someone that takes the truth of the Word of God and applies it in their life in a spiritual way. A fool on the converse side of things, is someone that regardless of what storehouses of knowledge that they have, they still choose to behave in an unwise way. So a fool is not necessarily somebody that's always marked by ignorance. Uh, There are people that are both ignorant and foolish, but I'll tell you this, and you learn this, uh, just turn on the TV sometime, you'll find out there's a lot of folks with enough degrees to make a thermometer blush, and they're just as foolish as they come. Uh, knowledge in and of itself does not prevent someone from being a fool. A fool is someone that uh, uses the truth of life and the truth of the Word of God in a cavalier, casual way. They don't walk wisely. They don't give thought to the way that they live, the way they behave, and the things that they say. But beyond definitionally recognizing what a fool is, Solomon gives us several things in these 11 verses that he has observed in a fool's behavior. Now, here's the thing. How can you deal with a foolish person? In other words, somebody that refuses to take right counsel, someone that refuses to walk wisely. What can you do in dealing with a fool? Now, I'll go ahead and tell you tonight, I'm not preaching on being a fool. Uh, I've got another message that we're going to get to, but it's going to be real, real short when we get to it. We're going to have a long introduction, amen? That's how it's supposed to be. It's like uh, when you got a long runway and a short flight, amen? But I-, I want you to consider some of the things that Solomon says about a fool. I want you to notice, first off, the fool's response to pacification. So when you're dealing with someone in your life that is a fool, meaning there's someone that disregards the wisdom of God, there's someone that does not walk rightly in their life. Hey, listen, there's a lot of people in our life that we're burdened over, and if we wanted to get a good biblical definition of their behavior, what they're doing is they're living foolishly. Foolishly. They know the truth. They know what's right but they have rejected it and they continue to make uh, destructive decision after destructive decision because they are unwilling and unwise uh, to walk in the truth of God's Word. How can you deal with that person? Well, notice what he says first off about the fool's response to pacification. He says in verse number 1, As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. And we live in a world that the mantra and the the motto and sort of the, the, the running protocol for how you deal with people is pacification. Try to avoid confrontation. Try to just keep people happy. Try to just set them at ease. And I want you to notice that Solomon points out that a fool cannot be brought out of their folly by pacifying them, by putting honor upon them. In other words in fact we uh, I was you know I write these little devotionals that we do I write them like weeks before you ever get them so it's always a surprise to me whenever I uh open my email I've done forgot what I've written about but I was reading the one that uh, we all got this morning uh that we titled putting lipstick on a pig and, you know, Solomon talks about also in the book Proverbs that uh, as a jewel in a pig's snout, so also is uh, beauty on a person of, of no discretion. I'm paraphrasing there when I say that. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's this notion that if you just heap honor upon people, if you flatter people, if you bolster their self-esteem, if you encourage them, that that will bring them out of their foolish behavior. But Solomon says that's not the way life is. Solomon says, in fact, that a foolish person, when you heap honor upon them, when you treat them as if they know what they're talking about, when you treat them as if the way they're living is okay, when you treat them as if they are wise and not foolish, he said that's like a snow showing up right in the middle of summer or as rain right in the middle of harvest. And I jotted this down. I want you to think about it with me. When honor is placed upon a fool, it is disturbing and disruptive. In other words, when you treat a foolish person as if they matter... And I listen, I, I want to be careful how I say this. We ought to always be kind-hearted. But we live in a world, too, that's filled with foolish people that are given microphones and given podiums and given places of importance. And it seems like there is the mantra that if a person can just get enough people to agree with them, that must make them right. But that's not true. It is, number one, disturbing. Now, you can imagine, especially those of us that have grown up here in East Tennessee, we know exactly what it would be like to have snow turn up in the middle of summer. Amen? We've seen that a time or two. Maybe not snow and maybe not in the middle of summer, but we certainly know what it's like to be in the middle of of a situation where you can expect one thing, it is rational and it is reasonable to expect a certain climate, and yet something totally inappropriate shows up and ruins the whole day. That's what God says it's like when you pacify a foolish person By heaping honor upon them. When you try to keep them happy, you know what you're doing. You're calling good evil and evil good. Now, again, we need to always speak the truth in love. But we need to understand that there's also consequences to the things that we do. We see this all the time in the modern campus culture that we live in. And uh, listen, i got a lot more important things to talk about than politics tonight. But, you know, part of the reason that you see these kids at college campuses all over marching and demanding safe spaces because they've been getting their way that way ever since they were a toddler. And they were pacified. And they were treated as though their opinion held value and held importance and this, that, and the other. Now, listen, if a person's opinion does hold value, then that value is one thing. But when we tell everybody that their opinion matters just because they uh, inhale and exhale, that don't help them. And that don't help society. I- I've got news for you. Listen, I don't care what Hollywood people think about the way I live my life. I don't care what politicians think about the way I live my I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. It doesn't interest me. I, I don't care what media thinks about. I'm not interested in hearing them lecture me about my values and the things I believe and the things that I stand for. And you know the best thing that we can do in those circumstances, instead of spending all our time uh, buffeting the air, the easiest thing and the best thing for us to do would be to turn the TV off and starve the beast. I'm just giving you some practical wisdom here. Just starve the beast. Why is it that if a person can throw a ball through a hoop, they feel as though they can uh, lecture everybody in all of America as to what our values ought to be and what right and what wrong is? Now, we don't need to despise that person, and we don't need to hate what they do, that they have a talent, uh, but what we need to do is not treat those people as if they are of some great consequence in the great scheme of human history. When you place honor upon a fool, it's disturbing, but it's also disruptive. Uh, it it, it stands in the way of the normal course of how things are supposed to be. Solomon says the same way that in the middle of summer when you'd be working your crops and that snow shows up, it's going to shut down production, shut down what you're working on. The same way that in the middle of harvest when you're uh, reaping those uh, fruits in and a rain shows up and it gets too wet to get in there and work and it puts a screeching halt to the proper course of nature, that's what happens when you heap honor upon a fool. You know, the truth is, we live in a society today that is far too soft. Uh, there was a time when people didn't have time to be stupid. It took 12 hours a day just to not starve to death. But, we, and listen, I praise the Lord for a microwave and a refrigerator and a grocery store I can go to. I'm not saying that I don't enjoy those things, but I'm saying we have created a society today now to where people uh, that whose opinions should bear no weight think that they're the most important people to ever walk God's earth. And by the way, this isn't just confined to the extraneous things that we see through media and culture and, and politics and things like that. This is true for everybody. And the social media environment that we have, have, have placed ourselves in has made us think this. It's always astounding to me. You, you know what, and some of y'all listen, if you don't mess with the Facebook stuff, that's fine. You're better off than most of us are. But for those of us that do, isn't it interesting that Facebook wants to know what you're thinking? Why does anyone care what you're thinking? Why does anyone care what I'm thinking? Right? Why does what I say hold value? Now, I hope that because you've observed the way that I live, I hope that because you've observed the the way that I've preached, I hope that my opinion holds value with you. But with a total stranger, why should they give credence to what I have to say above what anyone else has to say? And yet we live in a society where we believe that if we just confer honor upon people, it will somehow lift them out of their folly. Solomon says, no, that's not the case. It's not helpful to a person to play into their delusion. It's not helpful to them. It's not healthy to them. I was seeing the news article uh, about this uh, family in Ohio that lost their 17-year-old custody of their 17-year-old child because that child says that they are a different biological gender than what they were born. And uh, they said that they're having suicidal thoughts because of that. Now, if that's not the tail wagging the dog, I don't know what is. But the court system in Ohio has taken away custody of those parents of that child. And given custody to the grandparents because the grandparents said, "Yeah, we'll give that child hormones and treatment and stuff like that." And that's supposed. And these are the people that <laughs> these are the people that want to run every facet of our lives. Now, listen, I'm not up here trying to start a revolution tonight. I'm just simply pointing this out that it's not helping that kid for society to play into their delusion. It's not healthy, right? If somebody was walking around this room saying, I'm a cat because I identify as a cat, you'd say that person's crazy. And if somebody said, shh, don't, don't treat them like that. Just make them feel good about what they think. You'd say, you're crazy too. It doesn't, it doesn't help. It's not healthy. It doesn't help a fool to play into their folly. Notice verse number two. That was fun, wasn't it? Didn't everybody have fun? Verse number two. As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. You know what I think Solomon's saying here? I think he's connected to verse number 1. And he's saying this. Just because you heap honor upon a fool and treat them like it's fine for them to live in folly, that doesn't change the fact that, that, that the consequences of their actions are like a bird flying around. And it can only fly for so long. Eventually, it's going to have to land. And when it does, it's going to come home to them the consequences of the way that they've lived. We're seeing this now in society. We're seeing this. For 40 years, we've told young people they didn't need God. For 40 years, we've told young people that life has no value, that you can just kill and murder unborn children with impunity, that that unborn child is nothing but a cluster of of cells and tissue. And we've told kids this for 40 years, and then we're shocked when they walk into schools and shoot 17 people. That bird can only fly for so long. Eventually, it's going to touch down. Eventually, it's going to land somewhere. We erode away the foundations of our society. We erode away the concept of God in the minds of our young people. We shouldn't be surprised when they turn into godless young people. shouldn't surprise us. Eventually, that thing's going to land. Solomon says a fool's folly will inevitably bring heartache. And that's the reason it doesn't help just to pacify people by pretending as though their behavior is okay. Because eventually it's going to come home to them. Look down at verse number 8. This isn't chronologically in the course of the verses that we've read, but I do believe it has a distinct connection in verse 8. Solomon says, As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool." To honor a fool is to become complicit in their folly and destruction. In other words, when you heap honor upon a fool, it's like, you know what we would uh, uh, liken it to, right? Because a sling was a weapon, right? And uh, it would be the, the similarity of taking a loaded gun and putting it into the hand of a child and saying, all right, good luck. That would be like what it was equivalent to. If I was to take a, a loaded gun and put it in the hand of my child, he's four years old, and he was to hurt himself or hurt someone else, I could not look at him and say, now, he would, he would bear culpability. But I too would bear culpability. If I looked at him and said, why did you do that? Somebody else would look at me and said, well, why did you put the gun in his hands in the first place? you would be complicit in it. And Solomon says, listen, when a person heaps honor upon a fool, in other words, when a person takes someone that is foolish in their life and foolish in their behavior and treats it as though it's okay and treats it as though there's something special and there's something to be proud of, and this is what we see all the time, every manner of depravity and wickedness and lordness and ungodliness is promoted as a right and as something to be proud of and as something to march for and as something to have flags for. When you do this... You're going to stand accountable for the consequences of what comes from it. A fool does not respond well to pacification. Look down at verse 3. Notice the fool's response to correction. Uh, Solomon says, "A A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Solomon says, I've learned this, that only through sorrow will a fool learn their lesson. Only through sorrow. This is a hard thing for those of us in life that have people that we're burdened for and we see them living lives of foolishness, pursuing drugs, pursuing wicked behavior. And we want to find some easy way out for them. But the truth is that a fool will only learn through heartache. You've heard it said before, but I will remind you that experience is the best teacher, but it's an expensive teacher. And for a fool, experience is the only teacher that they'll listen to. And then notice what Solomon says in verses 4 and 5. A lot of people struggle with this, but I think if we read it carefully and think about it, I think we can understand what God's saying here. Verse 4, he says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Now, what did he say there? He said, if you answer a fool in the way that he's answered you, you're going to be like him. But notice what he says in verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise in his own conceit. You know what he's saying? He's saying that dealing with a foolish person is a double-edged sword because a foolish person can only be reasoned with on a simplistic level. In other words, you have to degrade yourself to the level of reasoning that they are familiar with to deal with them. And you'll find this in Paul's writings. Paul talked over and over again. He talked about uh, boasting in himself. And he'd say, listen, I'll boast as a fool boasts." And the reason he was saying that is he was saying to the church at Corinth, I'll get down on your level if I have to to make you understand what I'm saying. But I don't want to, and it's not edifying for me to. But he said, this is the only thing you're going to understand is if I begin to brag about all the things that the Lord has done through my ministry. And the truth that's being illustrated here is this that no amount of reasoning with a fool will change their being foolish. Uh, To deal with a foolish person, you almost have to get down on their level. And listen, when I say their level, I don't mean in the sense of being stupid or being dull. But if they're living foolishly, then they are living in folly. And the only way to reason with them is to get down in the folly that they're in and reason with them about it. In other words, a fool does not respond well to correction. You can try to correct someone that's foolish and they'll despise you for it. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't correct them, but it means we need to expect that we're going to be despised for it. Uh, Christ talked about this when He said that we ought not cast our pearls before swine. And he says, lest the swine turn and rend thee. You know what he was saying? He wasn't saying pearls are precious so you shouldn't throw them away. He was saying if you take those pearls and cast them at swine, they don't know the difference between a pearl and a rock. And they're going to think you're just throwing rocks at them and they're going to turn and rend you. And in the same way, when we deal with foolish individuals in life, uh, try as we may, when we rebuke and when we reprove and when we try to correct them, most of the time they're not going to take it well most of the time, they're going to turn and rend you for it. Now, I want you to notice not only what he says, the fool's response to pacification and correction are. Look at verse number 6 and notice the fool's response to instruction. He says, He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. Now, this is interesting. I'll tell you why. Because Solomon's been talking about how you deal with a fool trying to bring them out of their folly. And then he says, if you give a message to a fool and expect them to carry that message, then you might as well have just cut off your own feet and drank poison. That's how destructive it is. Now, there's an important understanding we need to have here, and that is this, that we don't need to trust foolish people with important messages. But I think there's a contextual reason that Solomon's saying this. I think he wants us to understand that the value of truth is not appreciated by a fool. The value of information is not appreciated by a fool. Uh, evidence doesn't, doesn't matter to a foolish person. Facts don't matter to a foolish person. It, it doesn't matter. You know, we're, we're seeing all this stuff happen. And, and, uh, and listen, I'm not going to apologize for saying what I think I need to say. Um, but, you know, we're seeing all this stuff happen with this shooting in Florida. And my heart breaks that, that these things happen. It's sad that any child would have to be afraid to go to school. That's sad. That's sad. One of the things you've commonly heard reported over the past few weeks, I know that you have, is that there have been 18 school shootings in the past month. It's not true. It's not true at all. There have been more like two school shootings in the past month. And those are awful, and those are horrible, and those are tragic. But the other shootings are not shootings, they are gun quote-unquote incidences. Uh, several of them were where people took their own life on school premises. But you see, facts don't matter to people that are determined to see things a certain way. And that's true on the right and on the left. That's true across the board. I'm saying this, that when a person is foolish, regardless of their affiliations, regardless of whatever their uh, you know chosen poison in the culture of today is, a foolish person is not interested in evidence. They're not interested in facts. They're not interested in truth. They're interested in only what props up their folly. That's it. And so to entrust a foolish person with a piece of truth, you might as well cut off your own feet and drink poison because they're not interested in truth. This is the reason when you have loved ones in your life that are living foolishly and you try to talk to them and you give them statistics about the way that they're living, when you tell them the consequences, when you bring in personal experience and say, these people went through what you're going through, none of that matters. You know why? Because the truth doesn't matter to a foolish person. Look at verse number 7. Solomon says, the legs of the lame are not equal. So is a parable in the mouth of fools. Now, imagine with me for a moment a person that has one leg shorter than the other, because that's exactly what Solomon just talked about. And as they walk, they will inevitably favor one leg. Solomon says that's the way it is when you tell a parable to a foolish person and when they tell that parable again. They favor whatever aspect and interpretation pleases them. They are uneven in their understanding of instruction. This is the reason that you can talk to someone And I have had this happen to me so many times in my life, and especially over the past seven years of pastoring, where I've talked to someone and talked to them and talked to them and talked to them. And I thought we understood each other. And even when you'd say, do you understand what I'm saying? They'd, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're thinking, boy, we're making good ground here. They're listening, they're understanding. The Lord's working in their heart. Hopefully they'll change their ways. And they turn around and walk straight out and do exactly what they've been doing before. You know why? They heard what they wanted to hear. A foolish person won't listen to the whole of the matter. A foolish person will only listen to what's necessary to support whatever way that they want to live. Uh, They'll be uneven in their understanding. And then look at verse number 9. Solomon says, As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. The picture is of a man that is drunk that grabs hold of a thorn. Now, despite all the faculties of a drunk person being impaired, I don't think they would grab hold of a thorn on purpose. And I think what Solomon is saying here is, it's almost like if a drunk man was walking and he stumbled, and when he went to fall, he grabbed hold of a thorn bush. And when he did, it harmed him. And I jotted this down, and I believe it to be accurate, that a foolish person, when they grab hold of instruction for stability, it'll pierce them and they'll let go. A foolish person when they do get a hold of sound instruction, will only hold on to it if it's comfortable. The moment that it becomes uncomfortable, they'll let go of it. This is the reason it's so hard to help people that are living a life of foolishness. is because when, when they even understand what you're trying to share with them and tell them the moment it becomes uncomfortable, they turn away from it. They are unwilling to exchange a moment of discomfort for a lifetime of better life. Uh, They're unwilling even for a moment to receive instruction if it pierces their soul. And then I want you to notice what he says about a fool's response to affliction. Look at verse 10. Solomon says, The great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. Now, in other words, Solomon says, God will bring about the consequences of their folly upon them. God will see the way they behave. God will see the way they live. And I'll be honest, a lot of the things that break our hearts about the people we love that are living foolish lives are nothing more and nothing less than God allowing the natural consequences of their foolishness to fall upon their heads. God's allowing consequences to come home to roots. He's allowing that bird to sit down. But what does it say in verse 11? It says, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. The sad truth about a fool is that regardless of the trouble it causes them, the fool will continue to return to his folly. You've seen the image, and I don't have to be graphic about it, but you've seen dogs do exactly what Solomon's describing here. It doesn't matter that what that dog just ate made them sick, they're going to eat it again. And a foolish person will return over and over and over and over again. Now, that was my introduction. And I want to preach to you tonight on this thought. I want to preach to you tonight on the fool's advantage. Because look what it says in verse number 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. (laughs) Now, Solomon just spent 11 verses describing how hopeless, how idiotic, how foolish, how dense, how desperate the situation of a fool is. And then he says, when you find somebody that believes that they're right and infallible all the time, you found someone more hopeless than a fool. I remember when I was young, people used to say to me, and they still sometimes say it occasionally, they'll say, you think you're right all the time. And my response has been the same since I was a teenager. I have always responded in this way, well, duh. (laughs) Of course I do. Of course I think I'm right all the time. What kind of an idiot would you have to be to say, I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to do this anyway? See, here's the truth. We all think we're right all the time, and that's okay. As long as we understand that we all have not only the capacity, but the proclivity to be wrong. Every one of us. You're not infallible. I'm not infallible. Every one of us, we do things wrong, we get it wrong sometimes, we make mistakes, we mess up, we go down the wrong path. You see, the problem is not that we sometimes exhibit foolish behavior, because every one of us does. The problem is when we're convinced that we are never foolish and we never do anything wrong, we believe we're above reproach, and that whoever it is, it may be everyone else's problem, but it's never my problem. That person that is wise in their own conceit, And by the way, you notice that word conceit, it's awful close to the word deceit. There's a reason for that. They both carry the same idea of having something, a veil over your eyes, not being able to see the truth of the matter. And the fact is, there's a lot of people walking around today, and a lot of them are God's people too, that have it in their head and in their mind that they never do anything wrong, that they can't be wrong, and that if something's wrong, it's not them because they're not wrong. When you refuse to acknowledge that you could be in the wrong. Now, let me be very careful in what I say here. We should never entertain the notion that God could be wrong. When we're standing where God's standing, in other words, when we're standing on the truth, the Word of God, then we should never be willing to move from that. But I'm talking about in our own personal life or our own personal behavior. Listen, we're not talking about where we stand on baptism. We're not talking about where we stand on the King James Bible when we talk about this. We're talking about where we stand when we've got some kind of conflict with somebody and we think we're right, we think they're wrong. We're talking about the way that we interact with each other. We're talking about times when we've had a bad attitude and we don't want to admit that we've done something wrong. When we are unwilling in those circumstances to acknowledge that we could be the the wrong party, then we have less hope for us than a fool does for him. I want to give you three simple reasons and I'm done. Let me say, number one, the reason the fool is advantaged over the conceited is because the fool can recognize his folly. The fool can see that he is foolish. Now, he may not understand why he's foolish. He may not acknowledge that what the right way out of his folly and foolishness is, but a fool can be made to recognize his folly. It may take a rod for his back, meaning it may take some awful rough circumstances. But you know what happens when a self-conceited person endures affliction? They make themselves a martyr. You ever met anybody that the whole world was always against? I've met people like that. I've always been baffled by it because I didn't know I was against them, but apparently I was. Amen? Because the whole world is against them. Everybody's against them. Everybody's out to get them. The great deceit in that is that we miss the greater truth of what God's trying to do in our lives because we're too busy making ourselves out to be a victimized, martyred individual. The fact is, you know, sometimes our problems come because God is refining us. Sometimes our problems come because we're walking in godliness and the world despises us. But then there's other times that our, full, our problems come because we've made a mess of our lives. And if we don't get our lives correct, if we don't repent, if we don't ask God's forgiveness, if instead we entrench ourselves in our point of view and we entrench ourselves in our place of foolishness and folly, all we're going to do is assure our own destruction. You know, the Bible says uh, that he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be utterly destroyed, and that without remedy. That's a self-conceited person that refuses to acknowledge that they have went astray and done something wrong. I see this, we had several people mention cancer tonight. I see this, spiritually speaking, as one of the greatest cancers on the local church today. Is that we as God's people are unwilling to face the areas of our life where we have went astray. We're unwilling to acknowledge that there's places in our life where we've grown backslidden. We're unwilling to acknowledge there's places we're not as dedicated as we used to be. We're unwilling to acknowledge that we're not as in love with Jesus as we once were. And because we're unwilling to recognize those things, God can't change us. Only when we're willing to open our eyes and recognize this can God do a work in our hearts. So the fool is advantaged because the fool can recognize his folly. Number two, the fool is advantaged because the fool can receive rebuke. See, the fool, when he knows he's acting and behaving foolishly, can handle it when you do rebuke him. Now, again, I'll remind you, throughout what Solomon has said here, he's made it clear that fools don't like to listen to rebuke. But you can't rebuke someone that won't acknowledge their wrong in the first place. If a person believes themselves infallible, then how can you walk up to them and say, you know, I've noticed you slipping. You know, you used to be more faithful than than you are now. You know, you used to be more dedicated than you are now. You know, you used to serve more than you do now. You know, you used to have a better spirit about you than you do now. You see, when a person is self-conceited and refuses to acknowledge, refuses to see any error in their own ways, they have not made themselves above reproach. They've made themselves beyond rebuke. And when you're beyond rebuke, you are hopeless. You are hopeless. What would have happened to David if whenever Nathan said to him and told the parable of the Lamb, that had, uh, that the fella had taken from his neighbor and slain. And of course, all that was a parable about Bathsheba. What would have happened? Now, here's how the Bible says it goes. David said, I'm going to find that man. I'm going to make him pay. I'm going to uh, really just send him up the road and I'm going to take everything he's got and he's going to pay for it. And Nathan said, Thou art the man. And David broke right in two. Here's how most Christians would have responded. Uh, They would have said, I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to uh, do everything I can. I'm going to set him right. Nathan would have said, thou art the man. And they would have said, -uh. (laughs) nuh-uh, not me. Maybe you, Nathan, but not me. That would have brought about utter destruction in David's life. David was willing to be humble enough to acknowledge and to receive rebuke. One of the great marks, I think, of the apostasy in the church today is that we are too prideful to receive rebuke. Here's the truth. We all do things wrong. We all get out of line. And we all need to be willing with a humble spirit to receive rebuke. Part of it, again, is because we moved away from being an evidence-based society of reasoning and, and, and logic and things like that. And by the way, the Word of God is not an enemy of reasoning and logic. It's not an enemy of it, and vice versa. Uh, just like there's a science falsely so-called, there's a, there's a reasoning falsely so-called as well. But as we have moved away from being an evidentiary-based society, and we're a feelings-based society now, and that's how we live now. Everything's about how we feel. I was hearing a politician on the other day, uh, and again, I you know, whatever, if this upsets you, well, I just hope you love me. Thank you, Ted. But I, but I heard a politician who was on, uh, on the news, and he was talking about, and this was a Republican politician. He was on, supposed to be on the right side of the aisle. But he made the statement, he said, would we really feel like our Second Amendment rights had been eroded if we couldn't buy an AR-15? Now, there's a lot of problems I have with that statement. But the biggest problem I have with it is that it contained the word feel. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. There is fact, there is right, there is wrong, there is truth, there is falsehood. The reality is, if they were to do that... And, by the way, let me say this. I don't own a single AR-15. I don't own an AR-14. Amen? I don't own a single one. I'm going to take you up on that. I don't own a single one, honestly. I don't own one of them. i got no dog in this fight. But there's no question. No matter how we felt about it, we would have had a right eroded if they do that. Right? I mean, if they came in and said, all right, it is now illegal for anybody to use the word Winnebago, if you use the word Winnebago, we're going to throw you in jail. It don't matter if you didn't even know what a Winnebago was. Your First Amendment right would have still been infringed upon. It wouldn't matter if you never plan on saying Winnebago the rest of your life. Your First Amendment right would still have been infringed on. Now again, I'm not on a soapbox. I'm behind a pulpit. But I am saying this night: Feelings don't matter in the grand scheme of that. Now, I'm not saying people's feelings don't matter at all. I'm saying... Feelings don't change facts. But we live in a society that's not evidentiary based. It's feelings based. And because of this, even us as God's people have gotten to a place where we can't receive rebuke. You know why? Because we refuse to examine things based upon the substance and merit of them as a reality. When somebody says to you, you used to be more faithful, instead of saying, well, maybe I used to be, we say, I can't believe you'd say that to me. Well, boy, that hurts my feelings. Listen, I, I, and I mean this sincerely. We're not here to prop up your feelings. We're here, to try, we're here to try to get you to walk holy before the Lord. And if we're going to receive rebuke, we have to be willing to examine ourselves. We have to be willing to examine the rebuke. And a fool, though he may be foolish, he's, he has more hope than a self-conceited person because at least he can receive rebuke even though he doesn't like to do it. Let me give you one final thing. I'm done. The fool can repent of his behavior. A self-conceited person cannot repent of their behavior and remain self-conceited. It it fractures their self-image for them to repent of their behavior because they have to acknowledge first that they are wrong. When you are unwilling to acknowledge your wrong as a matter of principle in life, when you are unwilling to admit that you're wrong, then you're never going to repent of anything else in your life. You understand that? Repentance demands that we acknowledge that we've been wrong. Now, a fool, for all of his folly, he can at least repent of what he's done and turn to the Lord. But a self-conceited person can't. I want to close with this tonight.